Hey there, folks. We're kicking off today's episode with a cup of tea from the Nepal Tea Collective. Nepal Tea is a social enterprise based in New York that distributes the freshest organically grown teas to different parts of the world directly from smallholder farmers in the beautiful country of, you guessed it, Nepal. You can join us for a cup of tea and be part of the global impact they're creating by visiting nepalteacollective.com. That's nepalteacollective.com. <laughs> Yikes, my cup of tea is already getting cold. So why don't you join me and hop into today's episode? With the fundamental belief in people and the ability to do good, Isaac Kweku takes us on a fascinating journey through his life's mission to create a prosperous Africa built by us, for us. At the cutting edge of research, economic development and investment advisory at both the Emerging Markets Group and Amahoro Coalition, this week's guest shares a remarkable new model to approach how we as Africans see ourselves and the problems around us. Afro-optimism. In this episode, we take a walk through Isaac's impressive career and life's work through a refreshing and unique lens. We talk about how a solution-oriented mindset and a deep love for our African heritage is a foundation for building a continent that is not only progressive, but one that is shaped by us once and for all. Join us in the boardroom to learn about the geopolitical and cultural trends shaping our collective future and how we can play our part. Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, wherever you are, wherever you are. Welcome to the Bodrum Banta podcast. You're joining myself and my fantastic co-host Boniface Omina here on a Tuesday, at least when you listen to this. <laughs> Ideally, if, if you guys are keeping up with our schedule of releases every Tuesday, we have guest episodes and Fridays, Founders Friday, where Boniface, myself, Sean, and Yuri Corette sit down and we have a conversation amongst us as founders. How's everyone doing? Boniface, how are you doing? We have a fantastic conversation <laughs> lined up. We're and, so ready for this. And to be honest, we, we started getting into podcast topics way before even <laughs> pressing the record. This, like yeah. we, we had to stop ourselves and say, guys, this is podcast content. Let's dig into it. Um, Boniface, how's everything going? I'm feeling good, Sean. Happy to be tag teaming with you again. This is the Second time we've done a physical podcast interview in Nairobi, and you know we're trying to trying to create time and space for for Definitely. this in the future as we as we keep on building. But nevertheless, we are delivering the same kind of quality and the same kind of influential African leaders who would love for you guys to sink your teeth in and just understand their life story. So I'm really I'm really excited for this. Yeah, today we've got a fantastic guest. He is joining us here live in the flesh, and he looks just like he does on his LinkedIn profile. <laughs> He looks great. He's looking um, wise and intelligent. You, you know, when you think of, um, you know, what, what does the, the guy who knows things in a room, what does look he like. look like? <laughs> I think this is what our guest today looks like. We have none other than Isaac Kweku. Isaac is an international political economy advisor and experienced global executive with political and investment acumen in Africa. And he's the founder and principal of Botho Emerging Markets Group, but also the founder at the Amahoro Coalition, which is an African-led initiative convening multi-sector actors from all over the region 
to accelerate private sector leadership, um, creating impact and uh, driving sustainable market-based interventions. He's a guy who has ideas and not only has them, but puts them into practice. He has a great love for the continent and we're excited to speak to him. Isaac, welcome to the boardroom. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. With that generous introduction, I don't think I look like my LinkedIn, my LinkedIn page, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking great though. Well, a little grayer than that LinkedIn page. <laughs> I, actually, I'd, I'd say maybe a 10% grayer. <laughs> grayer. <laughs> I hope it came with experience. It, it wasn't the gray from the stress. Not stress, no. <laughs> not stress. So walk us through who is Isaac, right? Um, if someone bumped into you today and, you know, needed to get to know you in a quick package. Um, who is Isaac today? And maybe how would you describe your life's work to, let's say, a 10-year-old? Yeah, that's a tough question. I don't, I don't know that I can answer that question very well um, because even I'm trying to figure out who Isaac is <laughs> on any given day. <laughs> I think um, who I am and what I am changes per day. But I think, I think there are a couple of consistencies if I was to talk to the 10-year-old is that I have a very deep passion for the African continent, um, but it's not a passion that is idealistic, but it's based in a level of realism. Um, at least I like to think so. Um, I believe that I'm a doer. I believe in solving problems, complex problems, non-complex problems, any problem. Um, I believe in the power of people and people's ability to do good. Um, and I also believe that I'm a Pan-Africanist. I think those were things that I will use to characterize myself. I also talk very fast. Um, anybody who's met me probably knows that. <laughs> um, um, and occasionally I may have a sense of humor, but that's debatable. <laughs> that's a beautiful, Isaac. Um, I was at a family event two days ago. Um, I don't spend too much time with my family because of just how much I've traveled. I travel recently and I've traveled um, growing up. But it was, it was in those quiet moments that you know, you're, you're observing some tendencies in, in your cousins, in your auntie, and you're like... That's why I'm the way I am. You know? um, and it just goes back to some of the early childhood environments and that we grew up in, right? The sure. people who surrounded us, some of the experiences and situations that we're in um, growing up. And this is something that we've grown to understand of the podcast. It, it contributes a lot to who we are and the work that we do. I'd love for us just to dive a bit deeper into that aspect of your life. For us to understand who you are today and the work that you do and some of your values that you currently hold, what do we need to know about some of your early childhood experiences, environments, and of course, the people who were in your life? No, that's a good question. Wonderful. Look, I actually think it goes beyond that, right? I think that, I'll give an example and answer your question. I, I was told by someone a couple of years ago that, and this is an African thing specifically, that my last name is Fokuo. And Fokuo is a Ghanaian name. I grew up in Ghana. But I've always struggled in Ghana because people don't pronounce my name properly, nor do they spell my name properly, right? Mm. So I talked to a friend of mine who's from Cameroon and he says to me, you know, in Western Cameroon, Foucault is a very common name. And I was like, really? And he says to me, yeah, all the, all the business people in, in, um, in Western Cameroon, Cameroon are called Foucault. Do you think that that's what you're in business? I said, no, no, I didn't even know this. And the reason why I say this is because, you know, as a, as a continent, we all came from so many different places. Yeah. That the history of who we are, even predicated on people before the families that we know, mm. shapes you in some way that you can never, you can never, you can never even define, right? And I think that part of our unlearning and relearning as, as a people goes back to that. And so I think that all of us owe it to ourselves to understand those quiet moments where you say to yourself, 
gosh, now I see why this comes from in me. Now I see why in a certain way. But beyond that, beyond your parents, what about that ancestral line that may have pulled some of those strings, right? Yeah. Um, that I think very fascinating. But to answer your question more directly, look, I, I, grew up, I grew up in Ghana, like I said. Um, I tell people I'm Cecilia's son. My mother, my mother had a very big influence in my life. So did my dad. But I think that a lot of my entrepreneurial spirits, my fighting spirits, my whatever spirit comes from my mom. Um, my mom is very direct, was very direct. My mom was not diplomatic. If I'm diplomatic, that comes from my dad. My dad was a bit more, he's a bit more reserved. Uh, yeah. Dad is a bit more, you know, he's a bit more, not thoughtful, he's, he's a bit more reserved. He's a bit more reserved, a bit quieter. My mom wasn't, I'm not quiet. <laughs> and so that I think I, I got, and I grew up like most typical African kids. I uh, grew up uh, at early age working, some call it child labor. Yeah. For us, it's called school fees. <laughs> so I, work, I grew up working in my mom's kiosk, selling things at age 10, 11, before I'm going to boarding school. Um, that kiosk paid for my school fees, among other things. Um, and so, you know, my mom was a caterer. I grew up cooking and baking and doing stuff at a very young age um, as, a, as a boy, which wasn't characteristic of most boys. Yeah. I grew up in the best of my aunties. So that was that. Was that. Um, but I think also with my dad, some parts of myself that I feel, I feel like um, this thing of being a bit, a bit humble and not being in sort of in the front all the time, being a bit more thoughtful and being behind the curtain mm-hmm. and observing comes from my dad. Um, I think the way I look at the world in terms of the empathy and the way I passionate about the world probably comes from my dad as well because that's the work my dad did that I grew up seeing. But I think one of the things that did shape me uh, to, to your question again is the environment which Ghana was at the time. I grew up in the late 70s. I was born in the late 70s in Ghana and um, I lived through the two coups, 79 and 81, when Rollins, JJ Rollins at his school. And even after, after that, so 81 moving forward, I've been under that regime and then going all the way through to, I think, wow. what, 1990, I believe, when yeah. Rollins, I think it was 1990 or 94, I don't know, when Rollins finally became the Democratic president of Ghana, served two mm-hmm. terms and, and sort of Kufu came. Um, grew up also in northern Ghana, Tamale, which was very Muslim, so I didn't grow up in the south for a while. So I grew up kind of all over the place in, in, in Ghana. But I think what that did for me in that environment to sort of shape the way that I, the, the lens through which I feel the world. So for instance, for this refugee thing, that Mahoro that I, I run, I remember as a young kid living in a house where we had Ethiopian refugees stay with us. And at the time it didn't clock, right? At the time it meant nothing to me. I was just a kid. And then as an adult, you say to yourself, gosh, how did this young person, who was maybe 15 or 16 or 17, mm-hmm. go from Addis to Accra to Tamale, where we were living, to stay with us? Yeah. What happened to their families? What happened to their parents? Why are they here? Why aren't they home with their families? And that hits you differently, right? Wow. That's not a fantastic question. That's a human question. Mm-hmm. And then you, what do you do with that information? What do you do with that scenario? And then also growing up and seeing people lose things, right? When these, I mean, when these coups happen, people lose their lives, people lose their livelihoods. And so then you start asking yourself questions around, well, what does, that, what does that mean that today you have it, tomorrow you don't have it? And what is it to do good in community, right? And then, then also then as you get older also, well, why did this coup happen in the first place? Then the geopolitics yes, question coming, right? Exactly. Why, why, why were we fighting? What was this about? Why, why do we have a coup d'etat every two and a half days for yeah. a long time in Ghana? Why was Ghana 1960s one of the richest countries and then all of a sudden we kind of effed it all mm-hmm. up and what happened? They ended up with the Cold War. What the heck was the Cold War? Yeah. Right? And what does that have to do with us? And it's still happening today. And it's happening today, right? And so those are the things that shaped me. That's why for me, a lot of things I talk about around the African narrative is Africa's place within the geopolitical construct that how do we, how do we change that not just in words but in action and deeds and be at the table that i don't want this to happen again but unfortunately today as i tell as we have this conversation 
we have four or five or whatever coup d'etats in West Africa again today. It's happening again. Yeah. And how do you reverse that? So that's the environment I grew up in. I grew, I grew up with all these consciousness things around me and, you know, that's, my family was involved in that. My daughters were active in some economic development issues. Um, and somehow along the line, I think, I think I picked it up. That's amazing. I'm really fascinated with the work that you do because um, as, as someone who grew up seeing a lot of problems around him and in society, it looks like you took that interest and that fascination of asking why. Um, you took that into your career. Now, instead of just asking why, you're saying, okay, why? And, and then what next? Right. Um, I think that's really interesting because when we look at a lot of problems that happen on our day to day, for sure, you know, Boniface and I can, can relate in, in some of the spaces we've been learning at, you know, places like African Leadership um, University, where there's, there's an Africa consciousness that's purposefully downloaded into you. And, you know, you're, you're, you're kind you're of programmed, to it. You're, you're programmed into, <laughs> into like, when they look at it, they're like, okay, how, how can we create a system to pump out a bunch of Isaacs? Who who are in love with Africa. Who are in love with Africa. <laughs> and solving this problem. You know, and I mean, for, for what it's worth, I think they've done a really great job. Um, but I'm really curious. Uh, some of the dysfunction, you know, refugee crisis, um, et cetera, there's those root causes, mm-hmm. right? And a lot of us look at things from a surface level standpoint and we say, okay, coup in Gabon, Niger, back to back, these things are happening. Um, foreign powers, you know, um, meddling in Africa versus, you know, do we really have sovereignty? Um, what about our currencies? What about this? What about trade? What about um, COVID? What about, you know, there's so many things happening. Um, I'd like to step into your mind a bit in terms of from the vantage point that you have with the work you do um, at um, both the Emerging Markets Group as well as Amahoro um, Coalition. You guys are at the forefront of doing the research and piecing together what's happening, who's behind what, etc. Um, walk us through some of the trends that you're seeing. Um, what emerging markets, because you guys have a focus not just on Africa, but emerging markets as a whole. What are some of the emerging market trends um, from a geopolitics standpoint, from an economic standpoint, that you think every one of our listeners needs to at least be aware uh, of in order to do something later on, whatever it might sure. be, but you need to just know this. So let me answer that question in twofold from the both perspective and the moral perspective, and also maybe somewhere in the middle. Yeah. I think, first of all, I think we need to stop outsourcing our agency to others. Yeah. Right? So, and, and you mentioned ALU, you mentioned, you know, what, look at a guy like Fred Swanika, who started ALU. Yeah. We, we call him Uncle Fred. Okay, Uncle Fred. <laughs> so Fred grew up all over the continent. Fred went to US, went to McAllister, went to Stanford, blah, blah. He could have stayed at McKenzie. He could have been doing whatever. He came back to the continent and started a small school called ALA. Fast forward how many years from now, look at where Fred is. He put in the work. Definitely. And people around him put in the work. I am a beneficiary. Fred is a good friend, but also a beneficiary of his, of his success. I was part of ALN. That's why I met Fred for the first time. And a lot of my contacts came from ALN. Yeah. I say this to say that economic trends or not, as Africans, we ought to see ourselves more and more as part of the pro- solution to the problems we have, mm. whether it's in geopolitics or otherwise. Mm. 
Because if you don't, you outsource to somebody else. So when we talk about, to this day, Africans will talk about the dependence on colonization. Yep. To this day, even you mentioned the foreign powers meddling us. And the question I ask is, are we the only continent where foreign powers are meddling in? Are you telling me foreign powers are not meddling in Latin America? They're not meddling in Asia, Southeast Asia? You've heard of the South China Sea? See what's going on in the Philippines? Yeah. And all this. Powers meddle, period. Yeah. Has nothing to do with Africans. Yeah. Powers meddle because they gravitate toward power and they want to accumulate for their own hegemony and grow their empire. It's happened since the beginning of history. It's not going to stop. Yeah. What are we doing about it? Mm. <laughs> right? Mm. If, if, if I let you come into my house and I let you into my couch and let you eat my food and I leave you there with my family and the next day I come back and the locks are changed, whose fault is that? That's my bloody fault. Now, I'm simplifying the problem, right? Yeah. But the point is still apropos, which is that, look, for a very long time, guys, our, our parents' parents, I guess, your grandparents, my parents, and other parents, yeah. fought for us to become independent. We became independent as a, as a continent. Some 50s, some 60s, some 70s, some 80s, some 2000s. But here we are. Ghana was the first country south of the Sahara to become independent, right? 1957. That's for 66 years old. Yeah. That's nothing. So, as, so a couple of things. One, we need to see ourselves as, as part of the solution, but also we need to give ourselves some grace. Mm. 66 years of statehood, of bringing together a bunch of tribes to form a nation state. Yeah. It's not long at all, guys. It's not. And you're doing this within a constraint, a construct of all these guys doing all this stuff to you. And what that means is that we need to be smarter than the rest of them. Right? We need to work twice, of, twice as hard, three times as hard. We need to see the game before the game is played. Right, so the root causes are there. Yes, you're right. The root causes are there. Yes, they meddle. They come, go and take our resources. But you know what, guys? We're not the only people with gold. There's gold in Australia. There's gold in many places. Yeah, There's oil in many places. Yeah. But somehow, as Africans, we've have, we have this idea that somehow that our continent is so special and everyone is taking it away from us. Mm. But what we're doing is we're the ones mortgaging it away because we're giving it away because we don't realize mm. that by, 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 by not solving our own issues or by not being in that same construct, we're giving the other person permission to take away from us because we're not holding our space. True. And if you don't hold your space, someone will take your space away from you. So what are the trends in macro, macroeconomics? There are many trends going on. There's climate changes, whatever. But for me, a couple of things are very important when it comes to Africa is that this thing around of the African agency and how African countries, African governments hold their place relative to the global community. Mm. Some countries are doing it very well, right? I'll, let me pick on Rwanda. Yes. Rwanda, Rwanda is very clear, right? When you go, you, the, the, Rwanda is very clear. Rwanda is a, a sovereign state. The president is a sovereign state. The president represents him well. And we all talk about Rwanda and how Rwanda is doing so well. Yeah. Why? Because they're holding their space. They are. <laughs> yeah. Is Kenya holding his space? Is Ghana holding his space? And if we all hold our space properly, yeah. then they'll respect us. Yeah. We respect Rwanda because they hold their space and they say what they want and what they don't want, mm -hmm. right? And, and, and we, so they will say, we are going to Libya to bring a bunch of Africans who have been held over there as whatever, as um, prisoners or slaves, whatever. We're going to bring them back to Rwanda to, 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 to help them out. These refugees are going to come to Rwanda. They brought them. They brought Afghans from Afghanistan to Rwanda to help out. The, the controversial deal with the UK, yeah. It, depends on how, it depends on how you look at it. Yeah. I look at it as a government is saying we're willing to help because this guy is stuck in middle, no, no man's land. Mm -hmm. So come to Rwanda and be part of the solution because we understand what it's like, what it's like to be a refugee. We have sort of solving problems. 
what that does is that it gets Rwanda to the table of the big boys and girls having big boy big boys and girl conversation. Yeah. They're not talking about come and save me. Yeah. They're offering a solution to a problem. You don't have to agree with the solution, mm-hmm. but at least you're at least you're trying. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so my premise, so what are the, so the at the macro level, we ought to be at these tables as Africans. Yes. Whether it's climate change, yes. whether it's things that happen geopolitical, even in the South China Seas, mm-hmm. whether it's things on inflation, mm-hmm. whatever topics that happen at the global level, our leaders need to be at the table. They must. They must be at the table. Not as second chair, third chair, but understand what that means for them within our own constructs. The second thing that I think is important when it comes to these trends is that the creation of our own Africa policy in our intra-Africanness, right? So we talk a lot about intra-Africa trade, intra-Africa trade. But the other truth is, okay, that's trade. But in terms of Africa cohesion, visas, movement of people, all these things, yeah. it's a priority. We can't worry about geopolitics if we're not worried about our own, our own geopolitics, our own politics, our own politics as Africans. Mm. So what is, it, what is the standard of, of, of leadership of one African country decides to have a coup d'etat? What is the standard of excellence? What, what, what happens next? ECOWAS says something, AU says something, oh, they, they are lying, but they're not, they're not, we're not sure. It takes a while. They're trying, they're trying, right? And, and we give government's credit. But what, what is the standard of governance of our leaders? What is acceptable to us as a people that our leaders should be doing? If we, if we can do that, then, you know, we'll figure the trends out. <laughs> mm. right? So for me, I think fundamentally, that, that's where the conversation starts. And then, yes, you can move on to some of these hot button items. So yes, there are a lot of stuff going on. Like I said, when there's a thing in Ukraine, and I mean, the, yeah. the issues that are happening, the role of Russia and Africa today, yeah. right? those are all, these are all, those are all things that matter. But another thing that's happening, I think that also is very important is, again, we talked about this climate issue, which is a big deal, is that what, what are we doing as countries toward this climate change issue, this climate issue? The Sahara is coming south. Does it, that mean displacement is happening all over, all over the place? Yeah. What is the standard of governance around this stuff? We're talking before this whole thing around data. Right. What, what, is, what are the standards around data on the African continent, data protection for Africans? Yeah. We've, we talk about resource issues. Data issues are coming up. By 2050, all of the numbers, Africa dividend, youth dividend, whatever. Mm. What does it really mean within, within a geopolitical con- construct? Mm. If other nations are losing people and we're gaining people, what are we doing with the dividend? We're competing with India and China because also have the populations, right? Cities, the growth of, the growth of smart cities. Cities like Dar es Salaam, Lagos are going to become mega cities very shortly. What does it mean that we, constantly, we conduct our businesses as Africans? Yeah. How do we move from point A to point B? For me, those are the conversations that we should be having on Africa continent. And some are happening. I'm not saying it's not happening. And then how do we feed ourselves? That's on the trend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we have to feed ourselves. <laughs> yeah. right? So that's, I hope that's a, that gives you some flavor of sort of, I guess, how I will look at some of these things, right? I mean, from a, from a macro perspective, but also from an independent perspective. And then finally, if you permit me, from a horror, this conversation, one of the biggest things that, for me, that's on my heart is how would we, how would we stop this issue of forced displacement? 40 million Africans are either refugees or displaced today, as we speak. 40 million. That's a lot of people. And every time there's a conflict, we lose Africans to, not just to the death, but we lose the talent. And they go away and they never come back. Yeah. And so the question is, root causes, how do we just stop fighting? <laughs> so right. We stop this in the first place. <laughs> right? <laughs> and in the process also, how do we create economic communities, economic, economic zones around, around people to create greater prosperity for everybody? 
quick quick one on that. One thing that I've noticed is in countries where the value of resources in the ground is more than the perceived value of the human capital as a resource, you're you're prone to have genocide. You're prone to have all those things because when two hundred thousand people die in you know an unnamed province in you know let's say DRC or something, um, when when the world doesn't stop and be like whoa what what just happened mm. or even us as Africans, you know I I tend to find that that's a telling indicator of how much how much human development, how much, how much investment have we actually put in people so that the value of a life is like, man, Whoa, that we can't lose, we can't lose this person. Cause an example is, you know, in Western countries, if, if let's say, um, uh, expatriate comes over to your country and dies, it's like big news. You're like this American citizen, like two American citizens died or disappear or disappear. Or, oh, oh my gosh. Uh, but, I think that's an indicator of the value of people. Like when, when a people come together and say we are valuable and we invest in education, we invest in um, ideas, we invest in talent. I think that's, that for me off the top of my head seems like the big, the one solution to us stopping all this genocide. Mm. It's when we actually value each other to a point where I say, I can't, I can't let Isaac die. Like that just, that just, yeah unthinkable like back to what isaac had said about how yeah. a, a country's identity and like uh, right. an example mm-hmm. we gave of rwanda right is that like it's tying into what you're saying like is there a correlation between countries which have gone through or rather a, a country which has gone through that mm-hmm. kind of conflict and how they came out of it with that kind of identity right. pairing it with kenya to a seven to eight why didn't we come out with the same kind of solidarity mm-hmm. from seeing such a chaotic um such chaotic events happening and then that being a call a, mm-hmm. a call to action of why we need to do things different yeah. why did Rwanda well yeah why did Rwanda come yeah. out the way it did and Kenya As, like we still have Isaac do you, do you think that's a case of learning from our mistakes where Rwanda there was this big incident where they said literally never again um and and how can other Africans say that hey look we have this issue this issue this issue um, what is to it? avoid this issue? Uh, yeah. So a couple of things. I, I think I think every African country has been through a stress point. I said stress point. Now mm. some stress points are stressor than others, right? Mm. A genocide in nineteen twenty four is a lot more stressful than a, a coup d'état in Gabon. Right? I mean, it's not the same stress point. Mm. They're different different variants. But I, I do think there's something there. I do think there's something about the fact that. When you go through something very traumatic and something that is so, that hits the core of your society, you have, you have to do one of two things. You either break down and disappear, or you rise up and say, this is, this is not going to happen again, right? Mm-hmm. And we're going to do something about this. And, um, we're going to do something, do something about this now. But I think before that also, culturally, you mentioned something around the value of human, which is that, do we value ourselves? So let me use the example you used. You said, you know, if an expert comes and, you know what, what something is very interesting about that scenario. Yeah. When that scenario happens, if you've observed, the people who are talking about that one expert versus the 20 Africans, it's not the experts, it's the Africans. Man. <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. Well, let, me give you, let me give you an example. Yeah. And again, human life is valued everywhere. Yeah? Yeah. Four men decided, I think it was four men, four men decided to get in a capsule 
to go find some ship in the bottom of the ocean yeah. a couple of months ago. And something bad happened to them. Around the same time, I think it was 800 people on a, on a boat on the Mediterranean. Something happened mm-hmm. with a bunch of people who were trying to flee, um, you know, and, and they also died. Everything was about this. For, and my Africans were talking about these four people. And I said, yeah, yeah I, it's tragic. But do you know that we lost all these other people, blah, 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 blah. And it happens like every month. And, when, and we don't even know. So the question is, and you said this yourself, which is, A, do we value ourselves as people? And do you value your own existence? Do, do, I, do I value your worth more than the other person, the other? And most of the times, I value the other more than you. Because the other presents, I don't know, presents something exotic or because we think that. How many, how many times Africans will say, yeah, but you know, I, I don't trust our people. I need to, you know, a foreigner will be good at this. And, 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 and we kind of say jokingly, jokingly, but it's not jokingly, jokingly. It's it's not, it's, we, we do that, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's the first thing. I think value, value yourself. And again, my contention, and I don't know this for a fact, is that for Rwanda to get to where it got out of, there had to be a reckoning of us as a people and our value to ourselves as people, as Rwandans. And what that means to us as one. Again, I don't, I'm, I'm speaking out of context here. I don't, I don't know that for a fact. But I'm guessing people, the people have to understand the value of their own lives and their own existence and what they need to do to build their own nation states. Yeah. And I think other countries maybe haven't done that. I mean, I do, the countries that have been through very difficult times as well, and somebody didn't say the same. And, you know, it goes back to the whole leadership conversation and how does the leadership of the country lead you through certain things, whatever. Um, but I strongly believe that part of what you're talking about, I think it goes back to us and how we, how, how we view ourselves, right? Uh, and how then others, because others take cues. I'll give another anecdote about it, and maybe very little. We've all been around conversations where we're talking about African continent. And it's a mixed company. It's a bunch of, a bunch of Africans, a bunch of non-Africans, talking, 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 no, 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 no. And inevitably, the question, conversation goes to corruption or goes to, I don't know, something happened in the street with something, something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we engage in that thing so amazingly about all oh, the corruption, the corruption. And I ask myself, why do we get obsessed about things that are not working, mm-hmm. but we don't get obsessed about things that are working? Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. An, an, an American, an Ameri- you can tell an American, oh, you know, Chicago has a lot of murders and blah, blah. You know what they'll tell you? You know, America is a big country. And they'll, mm-hmm. they'll, they'll, they'll explain America to you to make you understand that it's not all bad. Right? And, and that's a good thing for them. And they'll pitch America to you and in, pi- in the, at the same time. Voila. <laughs> and it's okay. It's a country. Yes. I love your country. But I, as a Ghanaian, if I'm dissing Ghana, do you really think I'm going to go and say, but you know you're doing a few things right? No, no. I stay in the gutter. And I talk about how bad it is and the politicians and the leaders. And blah, blah, blah. But yet, all of us, most of us, if you ask a typical, if you ask most of us, give me three politicians you know, who are doing something right. We can name them. But, and I'm also not convinced that every single politician is evil. I'm sure there's one or two or three or four who are doing something amazing. True. Right? Why are we talking about those people? Yeah. You know, I, I say to people sometimes that we give the devil too, it's like Christians give the devil too much credit. Right? One of, one of the things that, <laughs> think about it, right? I like that. Everything yeah. is all oh, the devil. Well, is it the devil or is it just you? Right? Is it the devil? <laughs> is it just you? Or like people say like, you know, you, you, can, you can stay in the light, you can stay in the dark. We can focus on things that are not working. But my belief, and again, goes back to values for me, is that mm. if I focus on what is working over and over again, eventually that becomes a reality. Mm. And I think, back to the question about trends and value of value, I think as a continent, if we consistently give up the examples of people who are doing amazing things, people who are changing, who are changing lives, people who are doing whatever they're doing, it doesn't mean that we put our heads in the sand about things that are not working. It doesn't mean that we don't call politicians out. Mm. But even how you call them out, 
how, how we call our leaders out. Mm. Do we, do we really think if you insult a leader who was very egotistical and has no vulnerability, somehow is going to go in your favor? No. <laughs> how do we engage our, our, our polity as Africans? Mm. How do we engage the process of change? Right? How do we give to get? We need to think about those things because that's what, def- that's, that's what creates a change, right? That's mm. true. And then in there somewhere, all these global trends, you know, last comment about this. If you watch the news, mm. they're talking about, even, forget the news, the financial, financial markets, they are, you don't hear Africa in the conversation. No, <laughs> right? you, don't. Yeah. you don't. Then I guess you ask yourself the same question. In our own markets, yeah. do we talk about our markets the same way? Do we celebrate our markets the same way? Have we defined what a market in Kenya looks like and only to have in the evening news? What's yeah. about happening in Mombasa versus whatever? Do we do that for ourselves? It sounds like Boniface, do you know what this reminds me of? Yeah. There's a conversation we had on that uh Chino Achebe quote of until until the lions. Yeah, um, with, with, with Jocelyn. Until the lions begin to write. No, and until the lions have their own storytellers. The, the story, story will always be. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I think just like yeah. on that note, um, the question that comes to mind here is like the African narrative and how it's portrayed exactly. and, uh, and put out there. Exactly. Last year we had a conversation, whether we published a conversation with um, MTN Group Senior Vice President for Markets, Abeneza mm-hmm. Chumasante. Mm-hmm. And the something that he pointed out, we posted it as a reel on Instagram. He said, Africa is not for the lighthearted. And how do you know Africa is not for the lighthearted? Look at our history. Um, tying into what you said, um, he mentioned how we've lived less years under self-rule than we had under mm-hmm. colonization. And so we're not just trying to build, but we're trying to redo and rework all the misleading that had happened. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to think of a young person listening to this conversation right now who at the end of this, they'll hop back on, on their phone, on their screens, on their TVs, and they'll be hit by this skewed African narrative or a, or a lack thereof, like you mentioned, Africans are in the conversations, how are we talking about ourselves? How would a young person go about piecing together the right content to build African consciousness, um, to, to better yeah. equip themselves? Because we know a lot of things, but the problem that we're realizing is there's a lot that we don't know about ourselves, yeah. right? Whether it's facts of, of current affairs that's going on in the African continent, how can a young person start piecing together um, the correct narrative for themselves and take ownership of that kind of learning journey and knowledge um, accumulation process? Yeah, great, great question. I, I think okay, yeah, I give you, um, I have three kids and one time my kids were much younger and we were driving through Accra. We were, driving, my, we were very young. And um, my son says to me, Daddy, you know, everyone in Ghana is very, very smart, but why is Ghana so dirty? Mm. <laughs> I was like, uh, valid, valid question. Learn <laughs> <laughs> from a child. From a child, it's a straightforward. Be- yeah, yeah, because he's been to Dubai, question. he's been to the US, and then he's seen a crisis. Like, but everyone in Accra is very, very smart. But yeah. your environment doesn't reflect the smartness of everyone I'm meeting. Clearly, my own father, my own father, my own father, yeah. right? <laughs> And, and, and I think you're right. I think that is this lack of consciousness. And I think it's, this kind of sounds trite. It starts with the home. I think it starts with the families. Right. We need to talk to our young people, our brothers and sisters, our siblings or whatever about this Africa place in a way that is dignifying. And even parents, we need to stop this thing. Again, little, little things, guys. You're driving in the road in your little V8. 
you finish eating your maize, you finish eating your food, and you throw it out. Ah, yeah, yeah. And the kid sees that. I hate that. Right? You you drive up to the thing, and someone comes to beg, and you roll the windows up, and you pretend you don't see the person. Mm. Humanity, empathy, right? You go to your school, and you're in one of these nice private schools that we all take, a, you take your kids to, and somehow you're trying to bribe the teacher, because and the teacher has no say of how little Billy or little Wanjuru or little Kwame's life is because you're, you're a big man. And mm. everyone sees you as a big man who comes, who comes on campus. Mm. Humility, right? Mm. All these things, I think, contribute to how these kids' consciousness grow and how they view. Because then that kid who grew up thinking that because my dad is a big man, my mom is a big woman, mm. I have to behave that way. So I don't see my humanity. And I'm above the I'm above, above him. The driver is beneath me. And blah, blah, blah. Is beneath. It just, by <clears throat> not realizing that that driver is just an opportunity. That's why he's a driver, your father's driver, not because of a lack of anything, yeah. right? I think the second part of this conversation, I feel like, and this... And I really, really believe this. I've, I've, I've advocated this. That I feel like we need rites of passage for African young people, boys and girls. Mm. Like an, an NYS type of Something, thing. right? Where basically, yeah. like, but, but something that allows you to connect with um, not just NYS, person, but like NYS, but also more cultural training. I mean, call it propaganda mm. training. Call it whatever you want. But yeah. this thing where you, we, we, we teach our young people what is what what is like to be African? What as what this means? Our culture historically in terms of oral tradition. Yes, yeah. oh, yes. Because the oral tradition went away; it hasn't been replaced. I'm sorry, some cultures still do it. It's been replaced by TikTok. That's all. Right, and I really believe this. I, I there was a time when a few friends and I before COVID, we when we haven't had a chance to this where we wanted to have a summer camp in Ghana, where every summer we bring all these kids who were you know Ghanaians in the diaspora, Africa, whatever, and just talk about. Ghanaian culture, music and art, dance and drumming, but also our history, you know, the history of our independence. What Kwame Nkrumah, what Kwame Nkrumah meant to us? What, 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 you know, all these things. And, yeah. and even Africa as a whole and what's happened to the continent, we don't teach this anymore. And so right. our kids are growing up, people are growing up devoid of all this stuff. And all they see is, you know, Afrobeats and TikTok and everything else, which is fine. But the, the, that shouldn't be all. The, the, there has to be more than that, right? Mm-hmm. And that the pride isn't there. And I think the pride is there because we also don't talk about the pride. Because sometimes, and sometimes justifiably, we're so jaded and so tired. And they see the MTM man is right. Mm-hmm. Africa is tough, huh? It's tough. Africa will break your heart. Africa, <laughs> Africa, Africa is not easy. <laughs> yeah. Right? But it's like, how do you keep how do you keep loving Africa in spite of Africa not loving you back? <laughs> you think the in spite of would come from what you just said of speaking about the good that's happening as well and yeah. let that more Absolutely. I believe what if it's that at some point the tide will turn because the ugly can't hold any longer. You, you, you can't, like, it, it's like this thing of, this thing of dark thoughts, right? If you get in the place where you're always looking at dark things, mm-hmm. you get consumed by it. Oh my gosh, if I go, I'm going to hit by a car because this can happen. But if you free yourself, yeah, I'm going to get hit by a car. Yeah. But you know what? I'm going to go out anyway. I think eventually it's even lighter. We are heavy people. Look at the way we write. Everything is heavy, Bona. Everything is heavy. Everything is serious. Everything is like, Jesus. Like, you know, you read a narrative from an African author and it's always like, Jesus Christ, I gotta think about this one. Hey, this one hits me, huh? We don't just walk, we walk to the park, we held her hand, I gave her a kiss, we skipped the rope. No, 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 no. Yeah. It has to be, and then he slapped me. There has to be something in there that throws a curveball. But there are beautiful stories on this continent. It's beautiful, beautiful. Co- I, Beautiful countryside, beautiful things on this continent to not celebrate. So yes, I do believe that kids, I think, values at home, but also I really think that it'd be nice to start seeing these clusters of rituals coming back. Mm. Where again, to pick on Rwanda, Rwanda does this. Young yeah. Rwandans come back and they learn the language and they come for the summer from the diaspora. They get to see what's happening. Even in the embassies overseas, you can go 
in my embassies overseas, I don't see any people going to my embassies to learn Ghanaian culture. I don't know about the Kenyan embassies, but I know my embassies, they don't, we don't do that. Yeah. But it'd be nice. It'd be nice for the Ghana missions wow. overseas to say, hey, young Ghanaians who are in Ethiopia, who are in US, whatever, once every month, Saturday, come to the embassy, there'll be Ghanaian food and Ghanaian culture. Like, a, think of how thing. simple that is. It's yeah. such a simple thing. Yeah. But we don't do that. You know, where, where I've found that that happens is among Africans in the diaspora. When you're missing home, you know what? and it's like, man, remember that? Like, yeah. there's this dish yeah. that we have yeah. at home. And it's like, no, we also have it. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the most beautiful things about studying in these um, Pan-African institutions, you know, ALA, ALU, was we're sitting in a circle and it's like, man, you guys also eat that in, in, in Benin? You know, uh, we also have it in Kenya. You know, oh, that happened to you in boarding school? Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> you know, oh, as a kid, your mom used to tell you that? Yeah, she used to tell me that, but in French, you know, this is the French translation <laughs> of the thing. Um, I, I think those kinds of multicultural spaces are so important. Um, and I wonder how, you know, in the digital age, right, we, we can transcend borders, we can transcend... Um, distance also with with messages that are being put out there if if you as isaac quick who had the opportunity to put something together where you know you can bring together all these different people um, i know at amahoro coalition you guys are very big on um, you know con- conference style events just bringing thought leaders together people who can actually um, not just ideate but put actions behind execute. and and execute um, so i know that as a convener and as someone who's also action-oriented, you've, you've got some ideas in mind as to, you know, how can we do this as Africans together to, you know, promote not only Pan-Africanism, but a love for our culture, um, a respect for each other. W- what are some of the things that, you know, right now are going through your mind in terms of what, what you could do to address this? I think one thing, and this is not original, um, when I was at ALN working with Fred, this all came up a lot. I think one thing that would be very important is how do you build ecosystems of trust? Mm. And that's what this convenience do, right? The convenience are not about networking to go sell a million dollars. It's really, it's sort of a trust. Just what you guys were just talking about. You are from Benin. I'm from Namibia, but we're having the same story. You know, yeah. growing up, I thought things like, some call it Milo, some call it Milo. I call it Milo. I thought it was Ghanaian. Yeah, that, that's the right way to say it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was Ghanaian. I thought, I thought Omu was Ghanaian. I didn't realize it was a company called Unilever. That was the one who was right. bamboozled, bamboozled, and they were saying right. the same thing everywhere. Right. And so how do you put the custom trust where we share, common, we share our common history and do these kinds of things? And I think that whenever this convenience happened, I think that's the idea. Right. Gosh, you're from Angola. Okay, now, because in Angola, I had a perception that Ghanaians were blah, blah, blah. Actually, but you're not blah, blah, blah. You're actually a yeah. decent human, yeah. right? So let's engage, right? And then let's build a relationship. Let's, so I think, I think these class of, classes of trust happen. To do that, one of the things I strongly believe in is that when we have these conferences in Africa, Africa, yeah. we should get away from these panels yeah. and these sort of people talking down to you from the stage, industry experts, industry experts and the rest of you. <laughs> we, should, we should go back to our roots. We believe in circles. We believe in yeah. community. Storytelling. Storytelling. We should have these events and these, converse, these conferences, whether it's infrastructure, oil and gas, whatever, within the same spirit of a communal activity. Yeah. How, do you bring that, how do you bring that ego down that we're all having a conversation? Right, and I think that's one way to do it because it's very little, but the psychologically, if I don't feel because I'm over there, look, looking at this guy, and I'm saying, but this guy, what does he know? Mm. But what does she know? Mm. Is it the guy who was in the news yesterday for stealing or whatever? Right. But imagine if all of a sudden the conversation comes down, down, and the guy says, before I talk about oil and gas, let me address what was in the newspapers yesterday. 
Mm. This actually happened. And let's have a conversation about it. Here's where, um, again, not to put vulnerability on the table every single time, yeah. but we yeah. need to create this class. I think that's very important. The, the second thing I think is important when you talk about digital, I really believe that the African continent, we need to get to a place where we consume our own content. Yes. And I think that's a big thing. Right now, again, Back in the day, even still, my, my, my neighbors from Nigeria make these movies. We, we all make fun of them. He goes, yeah, you know. But, but you know what? The quality is getting better. The quality gets better. Yeah, it, is, it is. It'll be awesome to see African-inspired and originated content from a visual, whether it's movies or films or documentaries, in entertainment. Tell African stories. Some of it is happening. I know net, some of these OTT platforms, Netflix has done a show, few. Showmax and Kenya. Showmax and Kenya, yeah, they've done a yeah. few. So I'm asking, how do you scale these conversations? How do you scale these stories? Where it's as available as the Filipino telenova that we are obsessed watching these days. Mm. <laughs> or available as whatever else, where, where everyone has opportunity, whether it's through, through our cell phones, where I can buy minutes, I can use a zero rate and watch something for two seconds, or whatever the platform looks like, how can I share this? Because you know what? If you go to India, Indians watch Indian content. They do. And from what I understand, actually, when the blockbuster from Hollywood comes and nobody cares, they watch the Indian content. But and they and they're the getting Hollywood. so yes. good. Now imagine what that does to Indian consciousness. Now they're the biggest population in the world and the way mm. they look at the world and the way they view themselves. And here yeah, we're watching, the I'm seeing my people. Yeah. There's something there. And so if you ask me, if I, if I could snap one thing, snap my fingers, one thing would be, how do you create scalable content across African content? People can watch African content, yeah. celebrate it. And that content also is supported overseas. Yeah. Just like it's happening in music. It's so refreshing when you're in New York or California or in Singapore and on the radio you hear an Af- African music. Yes. Look how that makes you feel as an African. It is. That pride, like, oh man, that's Whiskey. Yeah. Oh man, that's too savage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a beautiful feeling. Yeah. Now imagine if the whole world saw us that way in terms of our cultural content and assets. Mm. Just like an American sees you wearing Levi's and they know that's a product. I mean, they look at you like, yeah, but that's my product. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Or you, you listen to, you're, listen, you're listening to some rapper, Jay-Z, and he's American. Yeah. Right? And, and, and I, think, I think for me, those little things are what changes the clock. It's, it's in the mindset, the mindset shift is what changes our ability to now move as a people because the confidence goes up. The way we look at the world changes. And even the way we do business changes. Right. So I think digitally, scaling African content, but also, val- I mean, if I could have my wish, these clusters of rituals where yeah. you basically have these rituals and people come together and talk about it. But it's done cool in a cool manner, not, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> done properly. <laughs> yeah, there's an aspect of what you just said, Isaac, when you mentioned the example of, of Bollywood and Nollywood as well. So the, the, say, for example, we're seeing these actors, right, on our screens. But I think what, what perhaps these... Um, industries in these countries have done better is to create a system in the industry that allows an Indian who is passionate about acting to get the mm. necessary skills mm. to learn more and then join the industry and act in the industry. Talent by play. Exactly. Yep. And so there's, a, there's something that I think it was either earlier this year or last year, correct me if I'm wrong listeners, <laughs> but um, Nigeria had, had, had put a bar on certain kinds of well, as foreigners acting in advertisements in Nigeria, something like that. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll look for the exact um, article and, and link it through. But ideally, you can see that aspect of wanting to make sure that you create a system and pipeline under that that feeds itself and is sustainable. Mm-hmm. Right? I'm very curious as to how often you've seen industries, um, whether it's entertainment, or like or or otherwise 
being able to create that pipeline from the education system to transitioning into the job market and still having that pride of I want to be an actor in Kenya yeah. because I'll be paid well, yeah. I'll grow and I'm doing it for my country. Or, like, or I yeah. want to be a marine yeah. biologist in yeah. Tanzania. Yeah. Exactly. You know, yeah. Can I start somewhere and actually get a job? Because that's the stage that a bunch of audiences are at, right? You're in college, you just yeah. finished, you're trying to look at it. So how can I scale my career? And I'd love to do it in Africa. I haven't seen many of it, <laughs> but but you're right. I mean, I think I, I think there's some anecdotal examples, right? So I think I, I think of the the Mubrahim Fellowship, for mm, instance, mm. which allows for African talent to work in African institutions, right? So those yeah. second African professionals to African uh, organizations and pay them a stipend and then sort of help build capacity that way. So I think I think that's one. Um, I also think that. With ALA, I mean, some of the, because you guys have to take a pledge. I think you have to promise to come back to Africa or something. Yeah. yeah. After good university. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, but I think I think that even African institutions, so like an ALA, like an ALU, sorry, like an Ashasi, like a like a Strathmore, like a USIU. I think that UCT. I think that African institutions that are now also getting much better at pushing out good African. Um, talent yeah. that then allows for the pipeline to start, right? Even at the education level, because mm. for a long time, our education systems were not that great. Yeah. And so everyone was leaving. But now mm. I think you're finding, I think education, you're finding institutions that are actually allowing you to give opportunities to go to yeah. a school that is as good as, and now parents make decisions, is it Warwick or is it Strathmore? Is it ALU or is it whatever? Mm. And even those comparisons, those conversations by themselves, I think is positive, right? Uh, but I think to your point, I, I really haven't seen a lot of example, and I'm sure the examples, I haven't seen examples where, where people, young people are going through a pipeline mm. crafting their career and then exiting and actually living that living that saying yeah. I was part of this incubation three years ago at the yeah. film institute and here's where I am today yeah. I haven't seen any of those um, ELX ELX has started ELX, okay. doing that for tech for tech talent. yeah, yeah. and um, things like Andela for example Moringa Moringa, Moringa School Moringa School. School that's true yeah but yeah I guess in the tech space you're seeing someone but I think in the creative space mm. Um, I, I, yeah, because you're right. I mean, because in, in other countries, I think in Asian countries, especially, and even non Asian countries, there are these clusters people come from where you say, you know what, I was part of this cohort where right. I went to this academy, this institute, right. I got trained. We have a pipe, we had a pipeline with industry, yeah. industry hired us, and then we started build, and then those people at some point start creating their own, their own ecosystems and they start growing the ecosystem. Mm-hmm. We, we haven't, I don't, I think, I think it's highly needed. Is it? Is it scalable in the sense that, um, for example, a bit of background. So after I had graduated from ALA, I took a gap year to just, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really entrepreneurial. I want to get into business. Let me start one. How, how do I know I want to do it unless I start? Exactly. So much to my mother's despair. Much to my despair, you know, I, I deferred my university admissions and I said, I'm taking a year off. Let me just like build something. And so the first thing that came to mind was, well, what do I know? What do I have that I can commoditize? And that was mm-hmm. what I had learned at ALA. ALA. And I said, you know, let me start like, you know, a skills training um, business. You know, it was called Project Exponential. And so we had really awesome programs that, you know, we partnered with high schools here to like train the beneficiary of one of your... Yeah, he, <laughs> he was a part of a couple of those. Okay. Um, and so what I found was that I reached a point where I was asking myself about scale. because. Mm. 
from that standpoint, I think when I just started out, um, places like Andela were, you know, taking off, etc. And I was seeing, you know, there's this skew towards um, tech talent being taken out, whereas my focus was more on um, soft, soft skills, skills. Yeah, 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 right? Yeah. And so um, even, even Boniface as well, you know, when he was building the, the Tinder for internships, mm-hmm. you know, these things get to a certain stage and then you're like, okay, how, like, yeah, yeah, how, yeah. how does this scale? Yeah, so yeah, I, yeah. from your perspective, um, given that, you know, as, as entrepreneurial people, we might dive back into <laughs> Isaac would be our first investor. You know, Isaac, we're, we're gonna send you a, a yeah, pitch deck, picture, pitch deck, deck. Yeah. investor deck, yeah. and a quick term sheet. You know, yeah. we wouldn't mind. But um, it, it's a passion that we have, and even you know, during like we started this podcast because we know that there's people like us who want to get into a room with someone like Isaac. Okay, cool. They can't necessarily do that, um, be it a function of networks or like exposure, or whatever. But you know. How, how can these kinds of things scale um, for like a soft skills type of thing without you having to build, let's say, you know, a whole university, et cetera? Um, maybe the question you should answer is, how can the kid in a remote village out in um, Turkana Busia. or Busia get to where you are, Isaac? Um, what, what do you think some of the steps to take would be and from a private sector standpoint, because it's easy yeah. to say government do this, um, yeah. but from a private sector standpoint, um, as people who are passionate about ed tech, um, how, how would you encourage us to uh, Reach approach that? that? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, now fair question. Look, but first of all, I think what you mentioned earlier about feeling stuck, it doesn't go away. Even I feel stuck sometimes, yeah. right? Where you're just like, gosh, now what, what, what do I do with this? Yeah. And I think some of it goes, we mentioned, we mentioned before about our past and our upbringing, right? Yeah. We don't, a lot of us don't have families where there's generationally, they've generally built businesses. And I can give you advice on it. Yeah, you know, yeah. in 1968, we're in this situation and <laughs> Uncle Joe did this and Uncle Billy did this, and Uncle Kwame did this. No, we, yeah, we, no, we don't have that. Right? So I think at a base, like, at a base level, and this is going to sound like a, a non-answer, non-answer, is that a few of us have to keep experimenting. Right. And the truth is, Sean, I believe that you may not find the answer. But you're creating space for someone coming after you to find the answer. Mm. And you don't have to stress too much about finding the answer. Because mm. once, once you open the aperture, it becomes easier for the next person. Let me give an example. Let me concretize this. Take up BlackBerry yeah. as, a, as a phone, right? When BlackBerry came out, it was the most innovative thing in the world. The yeah. poetry thing. I don't know, yeah. BlackBerry, BlackBerry, right? Yeah. Well, there was not an iPhone. Not yet. It made it easy for Apple to the iPhone. Yeah. Yes. And just like innovation, the first person sort of, sort of suffers the brunt of whatever. Yeah. I think in our lives as Africans, we need to stop this habit of thinking that we want to save, we want to be the saviors today. Mm. No, we're just a conduit. Mm. And so that thing you're looking for may come maybe a generation after you. Mm. Because now you've opened the window, right? Mm. Now you've opened the window to what's possible. Mm. That kid in Chicago is saying, oh, so I can do a podcast. Maybe that's, maybe that's your calling only. Mm-hmm. And let her figure out when she's in a podcast. Maybe there's someone else in, 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 in Somalia who did something else that she'll find out five years from now, which has nothing to do with you. Yeah. And she goes, Ah, but Ismail also did something like this, and that's interesting. And I know what Sean did over here, my body face over here, they start connecting the dots. Because by yourself, we don't have the not the infrastructure, we, we, don't, we don't have the hardware or software because of our history to think of all these things. You can't. Yeah. And sometimes we stress ourselves so much. It makes us, it, it, it makes us, um, what do you call it? We can't move. Paralyzed. Paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. I tell people that people, I tell people that one of my gifts in life 
is that I, I don't overthink things. Yeah. I want to go if we just jump in. And guys are like, I was like, ah, guys, by me, I don't know. I don't know. This. I'm like, seriously? I'm like, um, so where, where are we going with this? Yeah. I, I went to China once. I started doing China work. I came back. I'm like, okay, let's do this. Guys are like, what do you know about China? I'm like, I don't know. I'll read. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> right? And, and, and then you inspire others. Hopefully, or that person you're talking about sees what you're doing. Because if not, if you agonize about every step in that journey, dude, it'll kill you. You, you can't. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing I'll say around that is that and so for me, actually, for me, yeah. I believe that everything I do in my life, mm. it is not for me to be the first or it's not for me to be the one who scaled it. It's for me to start the conversation. Wow. And that it's, it's important for others coming after me who may hear what I have to say, see what I did, see my mistakes, criticize it, say how messed up it was. Okay, fix it. Because I tried. At least, at least, at I, least, I, I, at least I tried. The man in the arena. Right? And for me, that's, that's as important. I have a Chinese friend who told me once, he said, Isaac... My parents ate noodles so my kids can afford Louis Vuitton. Man. You're the noodle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to be the noodle. <laughs> <laughs> right? And maybe occasionally you get a break and become the Louis Vuitton because of your calling in life, right? Yeah. Maybe, just maybe, you get a break and become the wealthiest person to do ABCD. And God bless you for doing that. Mm. But we all can do And one of the challenges we have as a country is that all of us who are educated mm. think we are the savior. Damn. Wow. Boniface, do you think you're the savior? Let me tell you. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind being the new <laughs> right? But but think about it, right? No one wants to be the no one wants to be the guy behind the guy. If talk to your friends who are all very educated. You went to good school, Lanana, da-da-da, you went to St. Andrews, you went. We all look, all of us, what is it, number eight percent of Africans have a university degree? Yeah. All of us are it's very like privileged. Yeah. Right? And in that privilege, we all think. Just like our forefathers who are all politicians who saved the continent for independence, we all think we're going to save. But look at what happened to them. Mm. They did the independence thing and they mucked it up because of greed and backbiting. No, 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 no. We need to release this energy that somehow because you've gone to school, you're going to save somebody. Just do your part. Mm. Do your part. Mm. And in doing your part, eventually, maybe you, you'll get to the place you want to get to. Maybe you won't. I have no illusions. I, have no, I don't think I'm going to live and make a billion dollars. But I hope my grandchild does. Yeah. <laughs> nice. If that's what's important to them. The generational. The generational. That's how you create generational wealth. That's how you create generational thinking. The threading. Generational. What are you teaching your kids today? What are you teaching your cousins today? How are you empowering the cousin that you think is a loser? Yeah. Right? How are you, because that person, who knows? Maybe their child. Maybe they'll be a loser. But their son or daughter will be the person who can say, Kai, I don't, I don't be like my dad. Mm. And you got to think about this holistically. Mm. But finally, around that also, I think that there's also something about people and this fire of initiative, right? I think that, look, I was that kid. I didn't grow up with people. I mean, I grew up in a loving home. I grew up in a, what I call African middle-class home. I could have easily been a person in Ghana doing whatever, doing God knows what, or mm-hmm. nobody even going to school. But I really believe that Africans, and this is a generalized comment, any African given a chance will kill it. Yeah. Right? Because we, we I mean... All of us understand our circumstance and all of us want something better. All things being equal. Mm-hmm. Not every single person, but all things being equal, right? And so I believe that that kid who you're talking about in, in Obusia, or yeah. Mumba, wherever, you know, given the opportunity and that's all they want. So as educators, as leaders, even this podcast, whether it's something you put on Twitter, some, well, X, something you put on Instagram or threads, wherever you put that thing, in today's day and age, all they have to see is that I was listening to... Um, this lady called Lindsay Vaughn, she's a skier, US skier. I think she was on, I was watching her the other day. And she said something, she said, someone asked about her mentor. 
She said, I met this mom for 90 seconds and she changed my life. 90 seconds. Think 90. about that. She said, 90, how, what can you say 90 seconds? I talk fast. I can probably say a bit more. But <laughs> 90 yeah. seconds. Yeah. And she said, that woman changed my life. So who is a 90 second soundbite for you? That someone listens to some, and, and also we need to be intentional about the things we say because the things we say matter. Yeah. When you say to that kid in your car, that a politician is saying shit, mm. that's not nice. It's not. Right? When you say, oh, you know Africans are like this. Oh, you know, those comments that we make, right? It's it not encouraging. It conditions us, right? Yeah. There's enough of that. And I don't say this because I'm some kumbaya guy who doesn't know reality. I say that because I believe in the power of words. Yeah. And transformation of our, of our thinking starts with the way you talk, the way you show up, the way you mm. represent yourself. And if you do that well, if you do that with courage and humility and, and, and some level of conviction and confidence, the kid will pick it up. That's incredible. And, you know, it ties back to what we're wow. saying about the importance of storytelling, community building, and all of that playing its part in creating this immense pride in who we are as Africans. It starts with, you know, how, you know, Boniface is dressed in, you know, his African print today. You know, if I asked him, hey, Boniface, you know, we're going for a, a recording. Why are you dressed like this? You know, like, yeah. you know, it's those small, slight, condescending, um, self-hate comments we make about ourselves that, you know, I think really keep us back. But, um, you know, that's just to speak about the larger narrative that's out there, you know, the dark continent. We've drank that Kool-Aid, you know, we've, it's almost a legacy. One, one of the longest lasting legacies, I think, of colonization is the image and perception that, we're not that, that, yeah, we're not, that we're not enough. We believe it. And if Isaac starts a, you know, maybe clothing line, will I buy Isaac's um, clothes? Will I buy Boniface's um, phone that he's manufactured? He, right here in Nairobi, you know, or will I say, you know, it's, it's iPhone or nothing, you know. But you, you know what you'll do? You'll yeah. find of the 15,000 things that are wrong with this phone. Exactly. <laughs> right? You'll find the 15,000. Right? You'll be like, yeah, oh, but this guy, yeah. oh, we knew this guy. You know, we knew this guy, but this yeah. guy, even this phone, I think he must have hustled somebody. He has no background. He has no background in phone. And he's like, does the phone even work? You know, I, I took that phone, it didn't work. And he's like, just buy the phone. Just support just the guy. <laughs> just support the guy. Just buy or keep him off shirts. <laughs> feedback let it be constructive yes back to what he said <laughs> fix it like fix it yeah what, what's wrong with it let me know okay right go ask to join his team okay you can call make this better make a better yeah, interface let me call Amina and yeah you know I, I, let me sorry so sudan sudan starts a conflict a couple of months ago right and amahoro we decide we're going to do a campaign to raise money for sudan Yes. Because I'm like, okay, well, yeah. I read all these things about how Ukraine happened and people gave Ukraine money. So, okay, how did that go? The Africans, mm-hmm. you know, we didn't even raise $10,000. Uh-uh. But here's what's important, important about the conversation is that I was getting comments from people saying to me like, oh, you know, these Sudanese are not Africans. Oh, you know, these Sudanese, oh, you know, you know, oh, but these Sudanese, you know, it's a thing about Russia. And I said, guys, I don't know and I don't care. This is what I know. Mm. I know there's an African country right now that is in turmoil. Yeah. And that country is surrounded by seven or nine other countries. And if they go down, that's a problem for everybody. Yep. People are dying, young men and women, people who had nothing to do with this conflict woke up the next morning and they have nowhere to go. All I want is to raise money for them to either go to school, get shelter for them, and take care of them. Whether it's Russia, whether it's India, whether it's, I, I don't know and I don't care right now. The debates, and we like to debate, huh? Africans like to debate. Mm-hmm. The debate on WhatsApp of, do you know the geopolitical construct? Of, I'm like, I, I, don't, I don't know, I don't really care. And they're always opposing in the debate. Yes. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care because I'm not smart. I don't care because right now that's not my focus. 
There are other men and women who are smarter than me who handle the other stuff. But right now, True. what can I do? Right. What I can do is I can give a dollar. Yeah. For somebody to be clothed today and, 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 and buy and get, get in a tent. Yeah. For someone to eat today. If I can do that, mm. maybe next time I'll give $2. Yeah. Maybe next time I'll say, gosh, instead of giving this money, let me find another solution. But we, we, we ought to stop this critical thing that we are. We are so crit- We hold each other to such a high yeah. bar. It's amazing. And we're so critical of each other. Mm. We don't support each other. We, we, we take it to the end because, ah, but you know, this guy, now he's wearing African clothes. I have to wait for He's not serious. But I'm like, but leave the guy alone, man. <laughs> leave the guy alone. Yeah. Let him be. Yeah. <laughs> what have you done lately? Crazy. Crazy. But let me go to London and come back. I'll tell you what I did in London. Yeah, I was in London. I saw a big band. I saw da da da. Dubai, I was on the dunes, well, uh, <laughs> dune bashing, you know, soft life, you know, <laughs> doing my thing. <laughs> As like you mentioned, grace, the value of showing ourselves grace, and I think it's coming to mind now as you say that. Oh, let's cut each other some slack. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I think I think as we come to the end of this conversation, as like I think you, your mindset is very refreshing to hear because I think as as young entrepreneurs, as young leaders. It's back to what we spoke about, like our African tradition. It takes a village to raise a child. Mm-hmm. And now that we're in a global village, you know, we mm-hmm. need to we use a lot different, a lot more strategies to yep. teach our village, you know, podcasts, you know, content and everything. And mm-hmm. I think to whoever's listening to this right now, I, they, they must be feeling very encouraged. I'm feeling very encouraged knowing that not just we have Africans like you on the continent, but we are able to get into a room like this. And yeah share in such conversation mm. um, i'm interested to know mm. um as, as we get to the last stages of this you know what's what's next for you in terms of uh, you know i know there's a couple of issues around africa that you guys are super invested in solving one of them is you know, displaced people and what we can do for our fellow man uh, but what does what does kweku's next five ten years look like for you i don't know the answer to the question because i never know yeah but i i, I was i was i was i'll was, I was, I was tell you this um the displaced thing for instance so one of the reasons why i think this displacement thing is so important is that it's not so yes it's very important that we help people that's very important but also from a africa growth story perspective mm. from a collective prosperity perspective we can't build a continent when increasingly millions of people don't have a place to sleep yeah where they don't have a they don't have a country to go to right and so even if you're not a humanitarian and you're a business person how do you grow your markets yeah it's a problem for you as well it's a problem for you as well right and so over the next five ten years one of the things i'd love to do is i want to get into conscious of especially african private sector actors yeah to understand the role they play the critical role they play in building and maintaining prosperity across the continent. African private sector actors are the ones who provide us jobs, <clears throat> pay taxes, they're very important. But I feel like there's this disconnect between government and private sector. Government right. does government stuff, private sector doesn't get involved. Right. I want private sector to be more involved in these conversations. That's one of my ambitions, that one of my things that I'd love to see happen. Because in there, so refugees want them, but there are other places where we solve, we solve problems. Imagine, imagine there's conflict in African country, and imagine 20 of the top CEOs of the 20 top listed, the 20 of the top listed companies in Africa go into the country and say to the guy, Mr. President, you're wrong on this. Yeah. Collectively, as 20 of us represent $15 billion, $20 billion of whatever, yeah. and $100 million of investment in your country. Yeah. We need to change this thing. Yeah. How do we collectively change this thing? What do you need to make this happen? 
How can we contribute to make sure that peace happens? Private sector needs to be involved in these conversations. They do. Right? And I think for me, that's one of the things that goes with the displacement thing. The second thing around that is that I'd love to see community, communities where we're forming market-based we market solutions for people. Right? So imagine a scenario where you have a place like Garissa, Garissa County, that that campus over there. Can you imagine if we're able to raise money, investment dollars, to build a factory in Garissa County where the host community and the refugees can work there? At a certain proportion, I don't know, 40, 60, 70, mm-hmm. I don't care, some proportion. And they'll have jobs. And the jobs are meaningful, dignified jobs. They're learning skills. And the, the, I don't know, the, the, com- the company produces, they make toothpicks, whatever they make, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But there's no economic activity. Now, all of a sudden, that woman, that man has dignity. They have a job. They dress up. They, they, they collect. They have insurance. Mm. They, have, they have benefits. They can go to school. And slowly, you're forming this community around an area where it's coexistence as opposed to the other. Yeah. Because we talk about this Africa unity thing. The Africa unity thing happens. That's how it happens, right? You create a place, place of excellence, economic opportunity. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you're fostering trade and you're fostering trade. That, for me, would be incredible. A place where Africans with talents can move around the continent very easily. Again, back to public displacement thing. Refugees today struggle to get permits to move from country A to place, to place A to place B. Yeah. Why is that? Can we solve that? So that's, that's one big thing in my heart. The second thing that's become my heart is around the creative industry. I think I told you guys about this already. And for me, yeah. that's my, my, one of my big things for the next however many years. Mm-hmm. I strongly believe that one of the things, and if, this is not new, people talk about this, one of the things we've grossly underestimated in the continent is a powerful creative industry, be it sports, mm-hmm. music, whatever. And the reason why I know that we undervalue it is even in our own governments, typically, we, it's like Minister of, Youth, Minister of Youth and Culture, and culture. Minister of Sports. And, and I was like, yeah, but can we, can we yeah. just have the Minister of Justice? Can we yes. That's one thing, right? Yes. And, so, and, and the Minister of Trade, Minister of Finance, doesn't see the importance of that, infra, that sports infrastructure because yeah. for them, it's a different conversation, right? Mm-hmm. And I really believe that as private sector actors, we can do more to mobilize and catalyze and monetize this space in a way that it creates jobs across the African continent mm-hmm. and also goes back to the things we're talking about. If yeah. we had sport competitions amongst ourselves, if the Africa Cup of Nations became something bigger than, for us, even bigger than the World Cup. So we don't care how many country, African countries and go to the World, World Cup. Cup. Yeah. Now imagine what that does. What that does for us is that if all of a sudden our cup matters to us more than the World Cup, the better teams are going to go to because the best teams are going to compete for the Africa Cup of Nations. Yeah. Our yeah. performance at the World Cup will be much, much different because yeah. we, we did it for ourselves first. Yes. And everyone, ESPN and whoever, Africa Cup of Nations is what you cover. The Africa talent. Yes. That, that's where it's at. And they yeah. come and they set up. Nairobi 2028, Kigali 2093, whatever. Yeah. Right? Imagine where we have, we have FIBA, we have this ball, the basketball tournament now that was started in Rwanda. Look yeah. how much it's picked up. Wow, man, it's big. Was it two weeks ago? Look how much yeah. it's picked yeah. up. Yeah. And Giants of Africa. And where did we start with? Infrastructure. Yes. The Rwandan government building an arena. Yes. And then we go to the NBA to build around it. Now mm-hmm. we have, we're an African league in sports. Yeah. Look at all the people have been employed because of that. All the jobs that have been created because of that. Mm. It wasn't some jumping up and down, going to space. It was sports. Simple. And sports we can do. It's so simple. And imagine now the second generation of people who now don't have to play basketball, but can be yes. in the business of, business of basketball. Yes. They can become sports doctors. Oh. They can become sports engineers. They can become That's sports crazy. whatever. Right? Mm. Imagine all the, the effects of that. Same in music. So yeah, the guy's a rapper. The guy's, but you know what? Imagine the jobs you can create if you enable the ecosystem. And now someday... Maybe his son or her daughter can be a producer or can manage talent. Yeah. And make a living. And make a living on that. 
generational thinking. That's for me, mm-hmm. over the next few years, I want to focus my energy, at least my advisory business, in the creative industry. Because I think I'm learning that we need to find ways to speak the language. We need to learn to speak a certain language mm-hmm. in that ecosystem for people to hear us. Mm-hmm. I'm not a creative, but I guarantee that if we're able to package a creative project in a, in a pop in a deck, the way somebody packages oil and gas, mm-hmm. maybe the investor will hear me differently. Yeah. Or, or a fintech. <laughs> Yeah. Right. One thing I'm learning is that everything needs to be looked at from a business standpoint. Yeah. Right. Um, after doing business management, you know, getting my degree, etc. When now I come back and look at African challenges, it's like, okay, is is this really a social issue or is this just a business and packaging packaging thing? Because when ESPN doesn't want to cover our local games or um, our local sports talent is lacking. Yep. It's like, okay, maybe it's lacking because it's, it's not a business. You know? Because at the end of the day, these are yeah. private sector. You, it's and it's lacking because matter. when I watch it on TV, it, it doesn't look nice. It does. The packaging. Yeah. <laughs> I can watch Mediocre if it's packaged properly. Can yeah. you imagine watching excellence packaged package properly? Yeah. Our, our leagues are on channels nobody watches. Right. We talk about all this amazing sports talent, but our football leagues are not great. Mm. And the best talent leaves. Imagine a day, guys, when the African football player would rather play in Kinshasa or Accra versus go to Leeds. Right. And that's something... Or this has a choice. Has a choice. choice. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because Saudi Arabia is picking up on that with their whole, um, you know, these football teams and just making sure that they develop the infrastructure. Um, Even Formula One, man, they spent, I don't know, was it like 33 billion or or something? Just to build a track. Just to build a track out out of thin air. But it's because they understand that if you turn a sport or an event into a business and make it recurring, the money there is just insane. Mm, Imagine Kenya. Imagine Kenya with all the success of Kenyan athletes in long distance. We go to Itan. I think it's called Itan. It was an elder, right? And there's an institute of sports, whatever, whatever, of climate, I don't know, uh, I running some institutes. Bunch of stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Bunch of whatever. Yeah. And there's a program. Right. Proper program. Young kids right. can come from overseas, can come do a living thing. Mm-hmm. There's thought leadership around it. You create an ecosystem. We sports have science. sports science around it, about the oxygen thing, mm-hmm. and whatever, whatever, whatever. And then we, we, people go to different countries to speak about it, whatever it is. Yeah. Imagine what that would do for this country in terms of jobs created in that space and all that. Yeah. And it starts as simple as the community that that thing is set up in, the county, the, county. Mm-hmm. the country, mm-hmm. the continent. Right? And these things can work. There's an academy in Ghana called the, the Right to Dream Academy. It's just one academy. Right to Dream Academy is, is football. Yeah. This kudos Mohammed. They've turned out amazing talent. And it's just one, one guy. Wow. Who, and he set it up there. And now he has a branch, I think, in Egypt. He has a branch in Danish, Denmark, somewhere, whatever. These things, I really believe that that, inf- that sports and entertainment space is an area that we really... And, and it's not new. People are talking about this. People are talking about fashion, whatever, whatever. But I really think that a conscientious effort around that in building that ecosystem will pay us many different... I mean, why is Rwanda doing Made in Rwanda with Arsenal and Bayern Munich? They see yeah. something. And that goes beyond... Now, I, I don't know what you guys read it. They're selling Rwandan coffee at the stadiums. Da, 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 da. It's not just about the chance. What's investment? The ecosystem investment. So once expect coffee, nobody's buying my coffee. You know what I'm going to do? Okay, how about I send a deal with you? For the next five years, you're going to sell my coffee in stadium because your stadium every year, every, every Saturday, yeah. has 80,000 people. And maybe half yeah. are going to drink coffee. Yeah. I'm selling my coffee. Yeah. Ex- exporting it so even back in your country there's job creation 
this foreign right. foreign exchange now you're getting foreign currency i mean the, but you know what we did when ronda did that we're like ah there's wasting money ah they're doing sports they're wasting money no 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 yeah, right <laughs> okay mm-hmm. we, we can disagree and be critical but it's like we disagree with an alternative, <laughs> we disagree with an alternative. Yes. we're critical with an alternative ah you know this kenyans how do they know about airline they, they keep you guys yeah. you have an airline <laughs> you have an airline <laughs> anyway yes so those are the, those are the kinds of things that i want to spend my energy on Uh, and being, like I said earlier, not being the legacy person, yeah. but at least kicking the door. Hopefully someone smarter than me, making it bigger. We love it. Um, Isaac, we're, we're super inspired. I think um, what you've spoken about goes back to a concept that we've been taught a lot at, you know, the African leadership group, which is build cathedrals. Mm-hmm. So the whole concept that, you know, most of the cathedrals that we see, you know, these like, gothic era cathedrals from like a couple hundred or even thousand years ago were built over centuries so when the person who made the plans and the first generation were building and putting the foundations they inherently knew that they wouldn't be the beneficiaries of the success of this cathedral right so isaac you're, you're really driving home that point that when we look at ourselves in a multi-generational standpoint and and the work that we do as well there's so much opportunity to create that like generational mm-hmm. wealth etc so in the interest of time we're reaching the um latter stages of our conversation here and in the boardroom one of the things that we like to do is uh put put our guests on the spot oh boy <laughs> <laughs> oh boy <laughs> so um this is our segment and we call it the elevator section Okay. So picture this, right? We've and and today we're actually in a We're actually going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we usually tell our guests to imagine they're in a boardroom but like <laughs> we're actually in a boardroom today we're in a boardroom. Yeah. So imagine we've had, we've had this great conversation and you know you're headed out to um, dinner or whatever you're you're going for and one of our interns stops you right as you're getting into the elevator you guys jump in together you know really eager pan africanist um, he's even wearing a dashiki <laughs> <laughs> everything with the hats with the hats mark with the hats and he's got some really quick questions you've not got too much time but he's got some quick questions are you ready to step into the elevator hit me <laughs> yeah. first question if you could give a book podcast or you know any type of media any anything that someone can read or consume one recommendation it could be a, any anything a movie etc one recommendation to someone of you know something that you've really enjoyed and you think that every african needs to listen or watch this thing what what would that be gosh yeah, many i'll give you i'll give you a quick one a book and a movie um not african um this book called ethics ethics it's written by a gentleman called dr bonhiver Um Richard Haifa was a German priest during the Nazi regime mm. who was uh, assassinated for helping Jews. Mm. But what I like about the book is this he opened my eyes a lot to this concept of deceit consciousness. Um and the example quick example I'll give the intern um mm. is that imagine that you were in a room and you are German mm. and a Jewish person came to you during the during the Holocaust time and said hide me and you hit the person under the bed and the Gestapo came in later the Gestapo said Do you have a Jewish person in here? And you say, no, I don't. You would have lied. If you said, yes, you do, I do, they'll take the Jewish person and kill them. Yeah. 
But the first one, the second one was deceived consciousness. You did the right thing by telling the truth, but you killed, you, 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 you killed a life. Mm. And so Digit One Alpha challenged, challenged me a lot to think about my own values in terms of right and wrong and, and values on context, right? And these things of what is so right. People are purists. I, I'm not a fan of purists, like looking at things in context. So anyway, so that one would be a good one. Another thing, again, related to this topic, um, we would call shameless list. Yeah. In Schindler's List, there's a scene in there where Schindler, who is, a, again, this is another Holocaust example, uh, who is uh, a businessman, is standing with a Nazi officer and the Nazi guy looks over the ridge and he sees a bunch of people working down and he says to them, yeah. I can shoot any one of them. Who should I shoot? Or something like that. And Schindler says to him, you know, having real power, having real, having real power is having yeah. the power to do something and choosing not to do it. That oh, that's powerful. is, so for me, those two things inform a lot of things about when it comes to, I don't need to be in the front where power exists or where influence exists that you don't have to show the of the influence but making the choice to sometimes stand back and not do what everyone expects you to do mm. gives me gives me meaning man i need to go and find those yo but i'm really yeah no, <laughs> yeah no, we we'll get the spellings for that okay second question you have the opportunity to put one message the busiest street of your choosing in the country of your choosing um, you've got a blank billboard majority of people who are passing by that place will read it and you have the opportunity to write a message quick message on it what would you write on that billboard there's a there's a special place in hell for africans who don't, who don't help africans <laughs> <laughs> There's a special Someone release. Park. Someone yeah. park. <laughs> Wait a minute. <laughs> Who can I help? <laughs> That's fascinating. There's a special place in hell for Africans who don't help other Africans. That's Man. beautiful, Isaac. I mean, it's thought provoking at least. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa. Boniface, I got only one last question. Yeah. Um, what is something that you cared about in your 20s that you don't care about anymore today? Ooh. Um, in my 20s, I cared a lot about where I was going in life. And now I don't. Is it because you've arrived? Is it because <laughs> 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 I don't know, I don't know what the road is? <laughs> no, because, you know, you know, when you're younger, people tell you it's about the, it's about the journey. You don't believe them. Mm. But as you get a bit older, it's actually true. Because what I've learned over a few months of living is that in my 20s, I was very focused on what's here. I want to become, at some point I want to become president, at some point, you know, a typical African. Now you can still do it. You can right? still do it. And so, and, and what that does is that you put the blinders on. This is my goal. I want to become this. Mm, but I think vision. of a tunnel vision. I think over time, once I've realized that once I move those blinders and I don't even know what's beyond the bend of the road, but I trust it, it's kind of worked out for me. Mm-hmm. So when I say to Ella that I don't know what I want to do in the next five, 10 years, I'm actually quite serious. I really don't. I've not been one of these guys who is like the goal over the next five years, I'm going to scale this company to 20 employees. No, no, no. I have some guidelines. I told some of the guidelines. I'd love to see this. I'd love to see this. Yeah. In those guidelines, I want to do something concrete. But I think in my 20s, my 20s, I'd be obsessed about, okay, how exactly do I do this thing right now? Yeah. How do I solve for this right now? How do I? And now I think maybe it's age, maybe it's just tired. I've just released it and said, you know what? You just, just do your part. Yeah. and forget the collective because one thing I learned along the line the journey is that this obsession of being helping people and doing whatever is too much just help one thing yeah because you can't do it all so yeah I think that that's the thing that's different is that I'm not as I'm not as 
tunnel visioned as this has to happen right now. This has yeah. to be solved today, or this is my goal. My goals are very important to me in my twenties. Mm-hmm. This is my goal. I I want to invest here. I had two grad degrees, and I wanted to do this. I want to get a PhD. Then I did da da. Then I need to get a job, and just like hey, yeah. <laughs> why? <laughs> <laughs> what are you going, man? <laughs> Take a break. Walk. <laughs> it doesn't mean be lazy. Yeah, I'm listening. It doesn't mean be lazy. It just means you know. Yeah. Just open your eyes. Mm. It's interesting because on the way here, Boniface and I were talking, and. Um, I was telling him about some of the 4D chess that, you know, I'm currently trying to play around Korea. You know, I'm like, okay, maybe if I work here, yeah, and I, I can get here faster, I can get here faster, you know. So I'll, man, I, I'm really in that time where, you know, a lot of my time is going towards how can I get to the next step? You know, how can I, um, yes, do the best that I can in the season that I'm in? Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just a lot of, yeah, there's a, there's a science to, to this thing of, I guess, being young and ambitious. Um, and I think it's okay. I, I, yeah. look, I think it's good to, so someone taught me this when I was in uni, like, of this three-door thing. So I've, I've always had this three-door policy. And a three-door policy is in anything, I have three options. Right. And I apply to everything. So when I was finishing uni, I was like, do I get a job? Do I go to grad school or do I go back to Ghana? Okay, mm. well, those are three things. And then mm. at some point in my life, I was like, do I want to stay in this company? Do I want to do this or da, da, da. But of all those things, you know, the most, having done all that, when I chose to leave private sector to start my own business, it wasn't a three-door policy. It was a question of someone telling me, again, impact of someone telling me, but I think you should do this. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to start a business before. I'm yeah. supposed to go back to Africa to work for the World Bank. Yeah. Like, but why would you do that? It's like, why not? That's what people do. <laughs> That's what people do. That's what people do. Yeah. So I, th- I think it's good to agonize about it. But I think in that agony, what I will encourage you to think about is the framing of the question. Mm. The question is in the end, right? The question. So whatever that next thing is for you, mm. I encourage you to say, look at the next thing as something with some, some open confines. Yeah. So if it's say, I want to become the CEO of the largest company in Kenya. Okay, fine. I want to become CEO of Safaricom. Perhaps you could say, I'd love to be the CEO of a large company in Africa. Yeah. That gives you options. Mm-hmm. You're still, you the options. goal is still there, but at least mm-hmm. it gives you, Because now, if someone comes to you and says there's an like, opening in Tanzania, you're like, no, no, it has to be Safaricom. It's like, well, but, but why? Yeah. A company, mm-hmm. like, right? <laughs> that kind of thing is what I'm saying, right? It's be, be open to these ideas about, okay, maybe I'm not going to become CEO of whatever, but maybe if I take this job right now in, in I don't know, Costa Rica, yeah. it'll build me to come back to become the CEO of EABL. Yeah. Yeah. Some, if that's what my desire is. Yeah. But if I don't become the CEO of EABL, it's also okay because maybe I want to start my own beverage company. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's also okay. It's also okay. It's okay. <laughs> you know, that is exactly. Okay. You know, maybe if the reason why we had this was just for me to hear that. I think so. I'd believe that. I'd believe that. Um, Isaac, thank, thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Boardroom Banter Podcast. Yeah. Um, listeners, you've joined myself, Sean Karanja, and Boniface Omina in the room with none other than Isaac Kweku. One of the things that I'm taking away from this conversation is that uh, we just need to be Afro-optimists. You know, that's, mm. that's something I just wrote down and mm. probably will title this. He's um, <laughs> <laughs> not the title. So yeah, yeah. Believe, half, half of the time, like, I take aggressive notes on these things just to figure out the time. I think that's like the hardest job ever. I need to outsource Put this. it all together, right? Yeah. And AI doesn't help. Like, I don't think it's... ChatGPT doesn't help you with that. It doesn't help. I give up. Um, but yeah, I mean, as, as Africans, are we optimistic about, number one, ourselves and our personal trajectories? Number two, are we 
optimistic about our immediate communities, our families, mm. you know, our quote-unquote village. And then again, are we optimistic about our regions, our country, you know, our etc. And I feel like with the mix of all of that, what Isaac has really been telling us on this podcast is that's the standpoint to start creating change where we say, you know what, out of the love I have for my people, I'm going to build something for them, Mm -hmm. not just for me. Because I think the generations ahead of us had that mindset of, um, okay, give and take. I won't won't paint them all with one brush, but a lot of the people who went into power and messed it up, they said, how can I do this for me and my 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 own family? A lot of these conflicts are about me. I must control this. I must control that. And it's at everyone's cost. that's something I've really taken away from this conversation, Isaac. And we thank you so much for, for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, it was great to actually have this in person. You know, we, we can see you, we can see your energy. Um, <laughs> and yeah, well, welcome to Nairobi. I know you're here often and don't need a welcome. It's like your second home. You even know the lingo. I, I, heard, I heard a couple of words, a couple of places slipping out. I was like, nah, this, this guy has been working here. Um, Yes, Isaac. Do you, yeah, do you, do you have any parting shots to leave our listeners with? No, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Um, this is also new for me. I've actually, I've been challenged by someone to do more of this stuff. I was challenged by someone about a year ago to be out more. Yeah. And so I'm trying to, I'm also trying to, trying to do that. Um, but thank you for the opportunity. I'm, I hope this was somewhat useful. It was. Um, but I think that if the continent is in the hands of folks like you, I think we'll be okay. <laughs> I think we'll be okay. <laughs> amen. Amen to that. Listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. I've been your host, Sean Aranja, joined by none other than Mr. Boniface Omina. Boniface, I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Have you? Yeah, I'm about to go have a nice nap after this. Yeah, I need to digest all of this. Boniface has had such a serious face on. Like he's, he's digesting this thing. Um, okay, so you're, you're about to see an, a LinkedIn article or, or something from this guy. Uh, expect that really soon. But thank you all for listening. If you've reached this point in our podcast, we want to appreciate you and say thank you so much for your support. And if you haven't already, Go back and listen to some of our previous guest episodes. We've had individuals just like Kweku. Um, of course, no one can be just like Kweku. Many can. Isaac is Isaac, you know. Uh, but if you're curious about these types of topics, these are the kinds of guests that we have on the podcast. Thank you for your support. Go listen in. Tell us what you like. Leave us some feedback on our different pages. You can stream this podcast on everywhere where you find podcasts. Follow us on social media. Just look for Boardroom Banter you'll find us. Thank you so much for joining in and we'll catch you on our next adventure. Have a good week.